You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 919 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you on a Thursday evening, and I'll be joined momentarily by good friend of the podcast, Ben Ladner. Ben has been on the show numerous times, and we had a lot of fun talking, as we often do. And the show topic, basically, was the fact that the Hawks have played 18 games. That is one quarter of the season, so a lot of takeaways to be had in that 25% of the campaign so far. So we'll have Ben join me momentarily. But first, some news, and a look ahead to Friday's game. The one news update that happened on Thursday was the Hawks providing an injury. I would say update, sort of a mildly an update, anyway, with Chris Dunn. And it's been two weeks since his last update, and the Hawks do this in two-week cycles in general on these guys who have long-term ailments. As a reminder, Dunn had ankle surgery back at the end of December, December 29th, and the previous update with him was on January 14th. At, th- at that point in time, Dunn had been uh, had, had sort of had his walking re- boot removed, and he progressed into what the Hawks are calling weight-bearing rehab and modified form shooting. This time, the Hawks announced that Dunn, and I'm going to quote here directly, has been participating in impact-based rehab activities, including skipping, jumping, and spot shooting on the court. End quote. That is the full update for Chris Dunn. So, I will say this, this is not necessarily like an indication he's coming back anytime soon. The next update will be in two weeks, as the Hawks said that. So, generally, a two-week timeline for the next update does not mean he'll be back in two weeks, of course. It means that the update will be at that point in time. So, he'll miss at least that long, I would imagine probably longer. And uh, if you were holding out hope about Chris Dunn being back in the near future, this is not the best news, but he is progressing. Obviously, he's, this is a guy who's signed for next year. It's a player option, but he's under contract. You want to be careful with him. He's a veteran still, but you don't want to rush a guy back. So you have to trust the training staff on this stuff, and uh, we'll see when he can return to action. From there, we'll dive into Friday's game against the Wizards on the road for the Hawks after a day off, a full day off, no practice of any kind. Normal after a back-to-back, of course, but the Hawks will play on Friday in Washington. The Wizards are pretty bad. That's that's worth saying out loud. The Wizards are 3-11 and this season. They've lost six of the last seven games. There's been some frustration, apparently, from Bradley Beal, who's been playing great, but uh, he's kind of the only guy that's playing great for Washington right now. Defensively, they're really bad. They're third worst in the league right now in defensive rating. They do have some guys coming back in this game, so Washington will be better on paper than they have been the last few games. According to the injury report for the Wizards, Dallas Bertans, Rui Hachimura, and Mo Wagner are all, are all projected to be back on Friday. They're still missing Denny Abdiya. Troy Brown and Ish Smith, but a more full roster for Washington, which is certainly worth pointing out in this game. For Atlanta, you have Capella and Okongwu are both probable to play in this game. Uh, Capella with a hand injury, Okongwu with the left Achilles soreness that he's listed with here. And the two guys are questionable. One is Cam Reddish. This is an interesting one in a lot of ways because Cam came back, of course, and played great on Wednesday evening, as we discussed on the podcast yesterday. But he's listed with a different injury this time around. It's a right quad contusion for Cam. Previous to this, it was right Achilles tightness for the last two games, one of the games that he missed on Monday, and then he was listed as questionable on Wednesday. And then prior to that, Cam was listed on the injury report with a left knee contusion. So this is the third injury in about two weeks or less for Cam. I'm not sure the seriousness, but obviously questionable does not mean he's going to play, to be sure. And uh, we'll see what happens there, but that's something to keep an eye on for a young guy that's had, a, had some, uh, some you know, I would say, some bumps and bruises this season so far. And then Rondo missed the game on Wednesday with the same ankle, in- ankle injury that he's listed as here, so we'll see if he plays. And of course, they're, keep, they're definitely keeping an eye on Rondo overall and uh, taking it easy on him on some level, but he could be useful in this matchup. The point spread, 
the Hawks are six-point favorites, according to our friends at Bellaline AG. And uh, that means that the Hawks, you know, on the road, that's a pretty significant spread. Atlanta is better than Washington. I would just say that plainly. They are better. Uh, Beal is a good player, of course. Um, they have Russell Westbrook, who's been struggling, let's just say, even though he has nice some nice counting stats. He's not been playing very well for Washington. And the Hawks should be able to score on the Wizards. The Wizards have really no defensive talent to speak of. They have a couple guys who are okay, but no game changers there. And this should be an offensive um, bonanza if you are Atlanta. If, if, if the Hawks play well, make shots, of course. Defensively, it's more of a challenge. Washington does have more talent than you might imagine uh, on the offensive end of the side of the floor. But we'll see how they play in this game. And uh, I would say this, it's an easier matchup than it has been the last couple games for the Hawks. So a spot where they are projected to win, they are favored to win. And if they don't win, that would be disappointing for Atlanta. You know, it's sort of different in the way that if they lost to, you know, obviously they, they did lose to Brooklyn on Wednesday. It was a frustrating game at the end, but the Hawks are not supposed to win that game. This time around, the Hawks are favored and pretty, sol- pretty solidly favored according to Las Vegas and the offshore market, etc. And then on the AG has that installed at six. So yeah, Nothing else to say about that other than the Hawks should win the game, and we'll come back to talk about it after the game ends on Friday night. Okay, before we turn it over to my conversation with Ben Ladner, who is coming momentarily, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today, and the first of which is rockauto.com. With more makes and models than ever, it's now impossible to stock all the auto parts that you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why would you endure questioning from a counterperson that's often totally pointless, especially when they were only going to give you the parts or the brands that the warehouse happens to carry? Instead, you have rockauto.com, either at home or in your pocket, and that is the best possible option. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything you need from engine control modules and brake pads to tail lamps, motor oil, and even carpet. Whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver, get everything you need just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always super low and the same for pros and yourselfers, so why spend up to twice as much for the exact same parts? Go to rockauto.com and see all the parts available for your car or your truck, and from there you want to write locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. I am joined now by good friend of the podcast, co-host of Read and React, NBA writer of the stars, Ben Ladner is here. Hello, sir. How you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm well, sir. Uh, it's been a while. I, I try not to bug you too much this these days since you are not on the Hawks beat full time anymore. But as I said before I brought you in and actually told you this before we started recording, it's kind of a round time to talk about the Hawks. They played a quarter of their schedule. They're nine and nine. There's some takeaways to be had. I guess I'll start off by asking you this because I don't I don't actually know the answer to this question because we have not talked about it. Do you have any top line sort of takeaways from this season? Because I know there's you know, sort of being inside of the bubble that is the Hawks right now. There's been a lot of hot takes on all sides, and I try to stay in the middle. But now that you're an outsider officially, Ben, what, what are you thinking about this Hawks team right now? Well, I think they're about what I expected them to be, um, at least by record. You know, their their net rating is actually higher than their record would indicate. I think they're like sixth or seventh, uh, somewhere in that top 10 in net rating, uh, according to cleaning the glass, but nine and nine record, like solid offense. Their defense is going to come back down from where it is now. But Clint Capella is having the impact that I kind of expected him to on defense, maybe a little more pronounced um, than I expected. Trey Young is still really good. John Collins is really good. The pieces are kind of fitting together the one, I guess, frustrating thing just from the standpoint of, of like not being able to see them play is that so many guys have been injured with Bogdanovich and Gallinari being out. It's, it's kind of hard to see like what this team really is without all of those pieces together. Uh, but their offense looks really good. 
their defense, I think, I mean, I know they're ranked 10th right now in defensive efficiency, but I think they're about league average, maybe a little bit worse over the course of a season. Uh, so I think, you know, theoretically, and, and when you sort of account for regression to the mean and when you just watch them and see how they look, they're about what I expected them to look like. Uh, they have some some high nights and some low nights, as you would expect from still a, a fairly young team. Um, but, you know, they kind of level out to a 9-9, nine and nine, probably a little better than 500 team over the course of a season, uh, which is about where you and I kind of had them projected before the season. Yeah, and that's it's good every once in a while. And this is what I'm trying to do really today is kind of zoom out a little bit just because – you know this. If you cover a team every day, a lot of the minutia becomes about the game that just happened or the third quarter adjustment or something like that. And you kind of get bogged down in the day to day and the game to game. And it's a good time to kind of zoom out a little bit and just say, look, they're, they're nine and nine. Should they be probably like 10 and eight, 11 and seven based on some of the losses that they had? Maybe. And their net rating is better than 500, like you said. But nine and nine is like pretty acceptable for this team so far, especially when, and you, and you, you brought it up as well. The injury stuff has been real on this team. Now, they have not had, knock on wood, um, any of the you know extended COVID absences or pr- protocol absences, but they have had so many injuries between Gallinari and Madonovich and not having done at all, and Okongwu having, having a slow start because he missed time. You know, all these guys that they added, they basically have run this back from last year plus Capella to this point. And if you told me that, if you told me all these guys are going to miss so much time except for Capella, and then you said, all right, the Hawks are going to be 9-9. Nine and nine. That's pretty solid. Like, it's not like it's going to be, you know, lighting, lighting the world on fire. But I think if you told me all of the injuries that they were going to have before the season, and then you said that, you know, Trey was going to have, like, a little bit of a struggle for a couple games, same with Cam Reddish and all of that, and you still said, all right, but the Hawks are 9-9, nine nine, you got to kind of have to take that, I think. I mean, just broadly speaking. I think so, too. And, and a big reason for that, which is another one of my sort of bird's-eye view takeaways is that DeAndre Hunter is so much better than he was <laughs> yes. last year. Like, yes, he is. Every time I watch the Hawks play, I'm just blown away by how how much more steady he is, how much more solid, how much more skilled, how much better his feel is. I'm sure we'll get into him at some point on this show, but like he's a big reason why the Hawks have been able to stay at 500 despite all of these injuries. The, the reason they're kind of outperforming what you might expect based on the personnel they've had available for a lot of the season a lot of it's just been Hunter, like being much better on offense, even much better on defense than he was as a rookie. I think that's been kind of an underrated part of his improvement because he's scoring a lot more. He's he, he's feeling the game. He looks much better on offense. But his defense has also been really good. So you combine that with, I think, what is now becoming a little bit more consistent play from Trey Young after a, an up-and-down start. Um, Collins, Capella, like those guys are having the impact you would expect of them. And then you throw in like above average NBA wing play and that totally changes, you know, the the product of, of those factors put together. Yeah, we can do, let's just do Hunter now because Hunter is, I think, all things considered the biggest story individually pretty clearly so far this season. You know, he, his shooting percentages are off the charts. He right now has 52% from the floor, almost 38% from three, 88% from the free throw line. He's the second leading scorer on the team, like all kinds of stuff that you would not have expected. I think... We all thought he was going to be better in year two. I gave the caveat a million times about how he had a kind of a rough adjustment period going from Virginia to the NBA, and that was underrated and all that stuff. And we all expected him to be better. But this this player is not what we all expected. Even, even, even people that were actually really high on Hunter, Hawks fans that were high on Hunter, I don't think anybody 
even if you gave true serum deep in the Hawks, you know, coaching staff, probably you would have expected him to be averaging 18 a game on this efficiency so far this season. So he's been awesome. You mentioned it, but have you seen anything in, in particular that sort of facilitates this? Because the shooting is what it is. And like, you know, that's just kind of driving a lot of this and making, but it, it's, he's, he's been really assertive, really physical. I don't know. What have you seen from him that just kind of encourages you? Because I think everyone agrees about how encouraging it is, but like, is this sustainable? Like, is he actually going to be this guy or close to it from now on? Yeah. The one thing that I would say probably isn't sustainable is that he's shooting 59% from short mid range and 53% from long mid range, yeah. 57% from mid range total. No one that does. No one does not going to last. <laughs> no one. It's basically, that's, that's basically like, like Kevin Durant. Like Chris Middleton yeah. did that last year for reference. Like that's how good you have to be to do that over the course of the season. Like you have to be Chris Middleton or Kevin Durant or Steph Curry or any other great mid range shooter um, in the, in the league. So he's not that, but 64% at the rim, like that's, that's fairly average. Uh, 38% on threes, that's better than he was last year, but not overly so. You know, he's still around league average there as a shooter. So, like, the shooting, I think, largely is sustainable, especially based on his shot diet. Like, yep. you know, he's going to get threes. He's, he's getting to the rim more. I think that's another encouraging thing is that, like, last year you just saw he, he couldn't – there were times where he just couldn't extend. He couldn't get all the way downhill and finish at the rim. And I think a, a big reason for that, which is kind of the the thing that's jumped out at me about his improvement, even more than the shot making, is that the feel is just so much better. Like he's able to come around a pick and roll, put a guy on his back, probe in the lane, figure out what the best path to the rim is, and then take it. Or he's he's you know planning hard and getting into that that right to left step back, you know, or he's putting putting a smaller guy in the post and backing him down and and just taking a comfortable shot. You know, he just looks more comfortable creating for himself um, and making decisions, which last year, th those were two of the things that I think bothered him a little bit as he kind of figured out the NBA speed and the NBA game is the decision-making and the comfort level were a little questionable at times. And this year he just looks, he looks like a comfortable player who has been doing this for years. Um, and again, it's going to regress to some degree that, that mid-range diet that he sort of subsists on out of the post and out of those, you know, one, two dribble pull-ups. Um, you might see that regress a little bit, but like the, you don't forget how to do those things, even if the shots stop going in at this higher rate. So he's still going to be, I think he's still going to look a lot like the player that he has so far, even if the stats and the percentages aren't quite as lofty as they've been. And that being said, he could also shoot better at the rim. He could shoot better from the corners. He could shoot better from above the break three. So even while those mid-range numbers go down, there's still room for him to improve in other areas. I don't think it'll balance out to be 59% effective field goal percent percentage, but it wouldn't be crazy for him to be around 54, 55, you know, assuming that things are going to kind of regress in both directions for him. Yeah, his true shooting is almost 65%, and that's not a number that anybody really maintains other than, you know, the uber elite guys at the forward spots. But like you said, he can regress inevitably on mid-rangers and even if he just has like modest improvements or even just kind of stays flat everywhere else his numbers his efficiency will still be quite good so it's not like a uh, a panic situation where it's like oh this is so unsustainable like yes it's probably unsustainable that he would be this ridiculous with his efficiency but everything else feels sustainable i'm glad you mentioned this but hunter one of the knocks on hunter 
And I think it was a reasonable one coming out of the draft and even in, into last season was that he was kind of robotic and his reads were not always great. He, um, you know, I would say pros and cons, he got praised for it at times for being this like very fundamental mechanical guy who was in the right place at the right time and all that. But his instincts were not always the best. That's okay to say because they have improved. Like just because a guy gets better doesn't mean that it, it wasn't a problem early on. But I think that that's probably the number two thing other than just the shooting that he pops off the screen at you is the fact that he's just kind of feeling the game more. He's being more aggressive. He's so strong, which they like to point out all the time. And it's really true. Guys bounce off DeAndre Hunter. And he's not, he was not known as that necessarily coming out of the draft. But if you look at him, he's a very big, thick, strong individual. And now that's playing up on the court. Like you see that, especially when he has a small guy on him, he'll just kind of go through guys now. And guys will really get pushed back, he'll lower his shoulder and create that little separation that you need to be a prolific scorer at the NBA. I'm not, I'm not sure if you've seen that, but that's, that strikes me as something that's, uh, that is sustainable. Like he's a physical, he's not like an absolutely ridiculous explosive athlete vertically, but he's really strong. And I think he's also been underrated in terms of the way that he can like get where he needs to go. I agree with that. There was a play last night in the Brooklyn game where he drove against James Harden, who, uh, who was a, a thick guy himself. <laughs> and, um, thick is and a good like, word he, for he it. didn't, yeah. He didn't get moved off of his line. You know, he I think it was the play where he put his shoulder uh, a little below the belt to Harden inadvertently um, and, and drew the foul. But like, yeah, he, he's a strong guy. He's not going to get moved. He's able to create, you know, that half foot of separation to, to move back and get his shot off. Like you see Carmelo Anthony do just as an example, like where they take a hard dribble, put their shoulder into you and then, you know, you're off them and you can't contest their their shot as easily. Um, you know, you, you hear a lot of young wings get compared to Kawhi Leonard um, and, and the DeAndre Hunter Kawhi Leonard is flawed for a lot of reasons. But one of the things I think they do have in common, in addition to the way they put their hands on their heads after a bad call, <laughs> is that they can use their physical strength. Um, and Hunter may even be farther along in that regard than Kawhi was at this same stage of his career. But the thing that makes Kawhi elite is not that he's jumping over guys and blowing past them and you know, dunking on people. He's just methodically kind of getting to his spots and you can't stop him from getting there because he's so big and he's so strong that he's just going to move you out of his way, either off the dribble or as he's carving out space or whatever it is. And I think that could be a part of Hunter's game moving forward, even if he's not the elite mid-range shooter that Kawhi is, even if he's not a lot of things that Kawhi is. That one aspect of their games, I think, like that's something if I'm DeAndre Hunter that I can that, you know that you can look at and and, and it's something you can take uh, from Kawhi and, and you can kind of see the similarity there. Um, so yeah, I mean, he just coming into the league, I think at an older age, it has its drawbacks for a lot of reasons. But I think one of the benefits is that you can show up in year two and all of a sudden you're strong enough to handle NBA physicality. Whereas you look at a guy like Cam Reddish, who's still building out his frame, he's still filling out. He doesn't have quite that that strength and that that oomph to his game, you know, to be able to move guys off his spot, um, create separation with his strength. He's still kind of using his guile and his craft. And I think that's a reason why we've seen Hunter have a, a more successful second season so far is, is just the, the physical maturity and the ability to compete with some of these more veteran players. Yeah, this is a very obvious statement, but I'll, I'll make it anyway. If you did not know DeAndre Hunter was a second year player, you would not know if you watched him play. He looks like... A grown up, number one. He looks, you know, he's jacked and also just he's so even keel. And the way that he approaches the game is just more of like a vet. And he's always been praised for that. He's kind of a quiet guy in some respects. 
and that lets him be sort of even keel. But he's also sort of turned that into aggressiveness now, where he's more assertive. You can tell he's 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 getting his confidence up, which is a very nice thing to see from a young guy. So we could, we could go on for Hunter forever, but he's obviously the biggest sort of development as an individual player so far for Atlanta. Well, one more thing on him, if I can ask yeah, you, because you are Do much it. more familiar with this part of his game than I am. How is his defense this year? Because to me, he looks more disruptive and he looks a little better getting over screens. I'm curious if you if you see like a noticeable improvement in his defense this year. Yeah, I think it has been better. You know, his steal rate and block rates are both up. They're not huge. That's one of the things that was a knock on Hunter. I think rightly so coming out of the draft was that he's not a he was never a playmaker big time defensively sort of off the ball. He has made strides though. I think he's more comfortable. The Hawks have encouraged him. I think rightly so to be more aggressive off the ball, to be more of a playmaker on defense, but at the same time, they're giving him all the time, all the top assignments. And that's something that Pierce has been kind of open and talking about publicly. Hunter has been as well. They have him guarding the best player almost every night, even if it's a guard, even if it's a power forward, they have him kind of guarding the guy most nights. And when you're doing that, your playmaking stats are not going to pop off the screen mostly because you are really engaged in that one matchup a lot of the time. So to answer your question more, like I think he has been notably better defensively. I think that he's still right now an offense first prospect, which is crazy considering what he was billed as coming out, but he is still better offensively than defensively at this point in time. But that is not a knock on his defense because it has been better. He has been making that growth and the Hawks are really high on his defense and right, rightly so. I mean, he, all the stuff that we talked about about his offense with with the, with the physicality and the maturity transits to defense too. Like I, I think it's can, it can be overstated. I don't think he's going to be necessarily you know an all defensive team guy in his career. He, he probably could be, maybe. I wouldn't project that. But if you have a guy with his measurables, his tools, and his sort of demeanor, and that guy can be your primary assignment on the best player on the other team. Having a guy that holds up like that defensively and then gives you a lot on offense is a heck of a package. So I think he's been better defensively. Like, is he, has he been like lights out game changer? No, but he doesn't have to be. That, that was, that, that was not, 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 honestly, that was never the plan. At least in my view, like, I know that he, he got drafted to be this defense guy, and that's, that's the case. But it was never going to be like, I'm trying to think like Matisse Teibel. He was, he was never going to come out and post like four steals a game. He was going to be that more solid yeah. plug and play guy. And that's what he's been, I think. Yeah. Why do we think Kawhi Leonard is dodging DeAndre Hunter? Uh, Kawhi kind of famously, I think it was Bob Rathman pointing this out. <laughs> Kawhi, like, does, Kawhi like, like doesn't play against the Hawks. He's played like one of the yeah, last that, six, that's what I think I'm saying. it is. He's, uh, he's yet to play against uh, the Hawk, the now the Hawks' second-year players because he didn't play in either of the two games last year and didn't play last night. It was uh, it was famous. Uh, Dwayne Wade was the guy who just like never played in Atlanta ever. Like Dwayne, just he would never ever play. Um, but I went to a Hawks Heat game in like 2010 or something. No, I guess it would have been 2012. And LeBron and Wade both sat, and I was very disappointed. Chris Bosh had like 40 points. Those are just brutal, life. especially if you're a fan and like that you're planning on that in, uh, in pre-COVID times when you can like plan for things. Um, yeah, it, it's brutal when when the best players don't play. Uh, I, I think you know there were fans in the building on Tuesday, but it's it's got to be unfortunate if you're planning this whole thing about to, I'm going to go see Kawhi and PG and they both and they both sit. Uh, granted, this time around they were not just sitting; they were actually in the protocol and couldn't play. But um, yeah. it's just one of those things, man. All right, Ben, that's a good time to take a break for a second and hear from our sponsors on the podcast, the first one being betonline.ag. The NFL season is coming to a close in the near future, but the biggest game of all is still to come, and with that in mind, there's only one place that has you covered, one place that we trust, and that place is betonline.ag. You can sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON for 50% welcome bonus with the site. 
If you listen to this show, you will undoubtedly know that the NBA is now in full swing. On top of that, basketball fans may also be interested in jam-packed college basketball slates virtually every night of the week. And from there, the matchup for all the marbles in the NFL is now set. And there are other sports also worthy of your attention, from hockey to soccer to MMA, and baseball is coming soon. If none of that gets you going, there's a full menu of offerings from BetOnline on any sport you can think of. And BetOnline also has a huge menu of player props as well as live wagering options, future bets, alternate lines, and much, much more. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Instead, get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. One more time, that is promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus with BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Today's podcast is also sponsored by the good folks at Built Bar. I've been telling you for a long time that Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and that is still very much the case, but also the new and improved Built Bar is even more delicious. The original flavors are fantastic and they continue to be so, but now there are 18 amazing flavors to choose from, including new selections like caramel brownie, lemon almond cheesecake, and and of course my personal favorite, and cookies and cream. Each bar is covered in 100% chocolate, and they're all soft and easy to chew, which is also very important to point out. And from there, I should remind you that Built Bar is also fantastic. For those of us trying to be health conscious, you can maintain or even lose weight while still enjoying something that's absolutely delicious. Bars are low calorie, high protein, low sugar, and high fiber. And Built Bar is even great if you're on the keto diet with all the nutrients you need. And again, a taste that puts other competitors in the space to absolute shame. In order to check it all out, BuiltBar.com is the place to go. Yes, it's BuiltBar.com right now. And use the promo code LOCKEDON when you get there. When you visit BuiltBar.com and use that promo code, you'll get 20% off your next order with Built Bar. One more time, that is BuiltBar.com. Promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your next order. Check it all out at BuiltBar.com and try Built Bar today. All right, Ben. We talked about Hunter and talked about defense, um, kind of perfect segue, because I was going to ask you, broadly speaking, about the defense overall as a team. And we can get into some individual guys if you want to, but you mentioned it earlier. The defense has been better than advertised so far. I think a lot of that is just having a real center. Um, I think John Collins is better defensively. I think DeAndre Hunter's better defensively. Even Trey Young's been a little bit better, I think, defensively. Um, but they're top 10 defense right now, and that may not be fully sustainable, but I think any notion of the Hawks being this like bottom five defense for me is out the window. I never thought that was going to be the case this year, but people, I think rightly at least worried that it might be kind of bad. That kind of, that ship has sailed in my view. Do you agree with me? And what have you seen from their defense overall in the times that you've seen them play? I mostly agree with you. I still, I still kind of lean on my prior in this instance where I think they're kind of lower end of the middle third. Once things balance out, they're really benefiting from shooting luck yeah. like opponents are not shooting well from three against them uh, they're not forcing a ton of i guess bad shots quote unquote uh, they're 20th in location effective field goal percentage according to cleaning the glass which is basically the expected effective field goal percentage based on where the team takes its shots um, so the hawks are 20 their hawks defense is 20th in that metric which is you know not terrible but not great so i think once teams start shooting kind of an average rate against them from three it, you're going to see them slide a little bit because like they're not I don't think they're doing anything necessarily to make opponents miss threes that's kind of a just kind of an aberrational thing that you'll see to the start of a season sometimes um they could like they could stay lucky all season and and be you know someone's got to be the league leader in opponent three point percentage <laughs> so I mean I, yeah. I, I guess it could be them and that could kind of keep them floating for a lot of the season uh, but no I think once things balance out they'll be around 
you know, 15th to 20th or so, probably, maybe probably closer to 15th than 20th at this point, just because of this good start they've been off to. Um, and I do think there are some structural improvements that, that we're seeing this year as opposed to last year, most notably Capella, um, who was just like, by the on-off metrics, is a defensive player of the year candidate. I don't think that he is legitimately a defensive player of the year candidate, but when he's on the floor, the Hawks have a 103 defensive rating, and when he's off, it's 116 and a half. Uh, so he's making a huge, huge impact on defense. And I think while you and I expected him to be, you know, a, a fairly impactful defender based on who he was replacing, I certainly didn't see this level of impact coming. And part of that is because the Hawks don't really have a great backup defensive center, so the the defense is going to get worse when he leaves the floor. But a 103 defensive rating with him on the floor is very, very good. Uh, and he's kind of been the backbone that they need, both in terms of rim protection and defensive rebounding, which are two areas they really struggled with last year. Um, so, and, and in addition to that, they have Hunter and Reddish on the perimeter so they can sort of contain the ball at the point of attack. Therefore, they're not putting as much pressure on the backline defender to protect the rim, and they have a better backline defender to protect the rim. So you sort of get all of these ingredients all this imp these kind of micro improvements mixed in and it results in a fairly vast defensive improvement again not as vast as the numbers would indicate going from 26th or whatever it was to 10th um, I, th I think that's going to end up being smaller but this is a fundamentally different defense than it was last year I think you agree with me that I, I was never really bought into the idea that they were going to be a bottom five defense but like you said I think that that notion has kind of gone out the window, if only because this start is gonna is gonna kind of keep them, is keep their average higher than their current performance if things go bad. If that makes any sense, it does. Um, I mean, but yeah, yeah, it's. I'm surprised that they're in the top ten, but um, I'm not surprised that they're not terrible. Yeah, I think the top ten does overstate it. I think if you're objective, you will look at this defense. It's not It's not going to be a top 10 defense, I don't think, for this season. Now, Capella does help a lot. We saw that coming, but he's been fantastic. I mean, especially once he got his legs under him, after the first couple games, he's been, you know, blocking shots like crazy. His rebounding has always been really good, but has been lights out this year, and he changes a lot for this team. I will also point out that in addition to the shooting luck that they've had, and, you know, it's actually stabilized a little bit. It was actually worse early in the season, where they were, like, head and shoulders number one and three point shooting allowed that kind of stuff coming in. Um, in the, I think the first like 10 games or so it's got a little bit, a little bit more stable, which is uh, probably, I would say encouraging that, that they had not fallen off a cliff defensively uh, at least before the Brooklyn game. Cause Brooklyn's impossible to guard. But um, the other thing I'll say about that is that the Hawks have benefited defensively. This is going to be a weird thing to say, but stay with me. I know Chris Dunn's missed the season so far and he's a, he's a great defender and he will help their defense, but the other injuries have actually helped their defense. The guys who they've missed, yeah. it's it's Gallinari, who Gallinari is not a good defender, and him missing time helps their defense because that, that basically just meant more of Collins and Capella, and even Solomon Hill is a better defender than Gallinari, etc. Bogdanovich is not a good defender, and that means more Reddish and Hunter, you would imagine. Obviously, you know, he's probably better than Herter defensively, but that isn't some, like, big loss defensively for you. And then guys like Rondo, who's a bad defender, you're playing Goodwin more often, he's a better defender than Rondo. There's all kinds of little things that tell you defensively that actually been a little bit better on the flip side, the offense should improve greatly when they have Gallinari and Bogdanovich back. So it'll kind of lean more towards where I thought coming into the year that this is still an offense first team. Um, that's definitely the case with the personnel. And I think when they're all back and ready to go, that'll be the case. But 
whatever they get back on defense, they should get a little bit back, if not all of it, or more back on offense, I think. I think their net rating of whatever it is, like plus one, plus two, something like that, to this point, is pretty reasonable. I think it'll just be more, I would say, tilted towards the offense of the defense eventually. I agree with that. I think that that's, I hadn't like considered it from that viewpoint, but it does make sense that their injuries have kind of helped I mean, it, it, it seems ways. like weird to say that out loud. I don't mean to like offend or and say anything about individuals. No, they're no. not rooting for the injuries. I mean, obviously they want their guys to be back, but right. just just the replacements. Like an ob- a very obvious one is Gallinari. Like Gallinari is a really good player. He's a positive player, but it's really all offense with him. Defensively, he's not going to help you. And the same thing at, at you know Rondo. I know has his defensive reputation, but Goodwin's a better defender than Rondo. Like pretty pretty clearly. So yeah. those two spots are very obviously they've been better defensively right now so far because of those guys not being there. Eventually you still want, especially Gallinari and Magdanovich, you need those guys back to reach your ceiling. But on that end of the floor only, they've kind of benefited from it a little bit. Yeah, and I actually think the offensive trade, like the, the what you're getting back on offense could and maybe will outweigh what you're giving up on defense Agreed. with those injured guys coming back. So that, I mean, in the aggregate... Uh, hot take in the aggregate, having your best players on the floor. <laughs> yeah, is ha- having your, your two guys team. that you spent uh, forty million a year on in the off season might be helpful uh, eventually. Yeah, and Gallinari's yeah. back, but he's only playing like fifteen minutes a night since he came back. So eventually, he's going to play more. And Bogdanovich did struggle early on. By the way, though, um, this is a different copy for, for another day. Uh, you may not have seen this, Ben. ESPN's RPM came out, which is very controversial always, um, and it's kind of an interesting system, but. Bogdanovich was like top 10 or top 20 in ESPN's RPM. And he was like pretty obviously pretty bad before he, before he got hurt. And that was one, uh, shout out to Andrew Kelly for showing me that, by the way. He's like a bottom 50 player in the league in a couple of the uh, more advanced metrics like Raptor, I think it was. And he's top 20 in the league in RPM. So just like, I don't, just a little noise for you in the advanced stats community. Huh. Just something. Yeah, that that is interesting. I was actually checking that out today. I was doing some all NBA research, but I don't, I don't remember seeing Bogdanovich's name of, on there. Of, of course you are on January 28th. Why wouldn't you be doing all, all NBA yeah. research? No, Bogdanovich is, uh, I'm looking at it now. He is 21st in ESPN's RPM right now, Huh? which is, you know, he, that's too, that's too high for him in, in general, but, and the rest of the list looks totally fine. And honestly, if not for the injuries and the fact that I watched him play, it wouldn't have seemed that weird, but he was kind of bad before he, like at least for his standards yeah. before he left. So it's just one of those outliers that I thought was kind of funny when I came across it. And it, 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 just, it just popped to my head just now. So there you go. Well, that's where games are won. It's uh, is an RPM, RPM, Raptor, uh, 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 EPM, all yeah. those places. That's what, that, that's what, that's all where you win games folks. Uh, I'll go back to something I mentioned earlier when I said that they're not forcing a ton of like bad shots from opponents. The flip side of that is they're also not giving up amazing shots. Like the last I checked on cleaning the glass, they were pretty close to league average in pretty much every area of the floor in terms of the the proportion of shots given up there. Uh, so it's not like teams are just getting to the rim at will or they're firing a ton of threes and getting all these open looks. Like they're taking a pretty average shot diet against the Hawks, which is another reason why I think ultimately this is around an average defense because you know if you're forcing average shots, you have an above average rim protector and a couple of above average perimeter defenders, like you're going to be around league average. Um, so that's, that's another reason why I think if, you know, I guess it would be viewing it optimistically to say they would have an above average defense, even though that's worse than they are now. Um, but it's, it's better than the expectation. And I think that's reason to feel optimistic that they 
could eventually level out in that range. Yeah, to your point, I just pulled it up to just double check as well. They are uh, they are twelfth right now in mid range frequency um, in terms of like allowing as many. They're they're twelfth best in mid range frequency allowed. They're above average in basically all of this stuff other than the rim, and their accuracy allowed at the rim is pretty good. And that goes back to the defensive upgrades of not only Capella but Collins. I think those guys and Collins making a step forward defensively has been huge for them because it's not just Capella. Collins has become a legitimate like plus rim protector. Now he's not going to be a dominant center. Like when when they, when they played Collins at center, it's to play offense, and that definitely juices that into the floor. But at the four, like Collins is one of the better rim protecting fours in the league. Like full stop. If you if you have Collins and Capella as your four and five you probably are going to be able to protect the rim defensively. Those two guys together is kind of a force that a lot of teams don't have because they're just kind of big already, and Collins making the step forward has really helped them. They've uh, Pierce has been big. I, I know you've heard this before, Ben, but they're, they're big into that paint-to-great concept uh, That's that right. he always talks about. And they're they're really trying to wall off the paint a lot defensively. And that al- you're, you're allowed to do that more when you have two guys like Collins and Capella they're allowing a lot of floaters. A lot of them are pretty good floaters to the opposition because of the uh, shaky perimeter defense, right? Especially right now when, when they're starting Young and Herder together, those guys are not a great pairing in the backcourt. But they're filtering everybody into their bigs, and that has generally worked because it's generally a it's a possession play. Like you have to live with it sometimes when you give up a lot of stuff. But in general, you want to allow a lot of mid rangers, and they're doing that. At least a pretty good job of that. Yeah, and that was always kind of my response before the season when people would say. You know, kind of making the case for why their defense is going to be bad. You know, they have Collins. Collins can't protect the rim. He's not a good defender. Well, yeah, if he's your center, that's probably true. And he's not going to anchor your defense as a five. But if he's your four and you have a rim-protecting center next to him, he's above average at least yep. as a rim-protecting four. And so if that's what you're asking him to do, then I actually think he turns from a, a slight negative to a fairly clear plus on defense. You know, sort of the the Pascal Siakam theory, where if he's your second option, you probably have a great team. And if he's your first option, there's probably a pretty hard ceiling. It's kind of that <laughs> yeah. uh, on the defensive end of the floor for Collins. Like if, if you're asking him to be your secondary rim protector as a four, your defense is your rim protection, at least is probably in decent shape. And so far for the Hawks, it has been. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. I think that all of the, you could tell who's watched John Collins in the last year and a half easily by talking about, by listening to what they say about his defense. That's kind of one of my, one of my triggers with, with, uh, with whether you've watched the Hawks or not in the last year is uh, if you are still talking about John Collins being a sib defensively, you have not been watching the Hawks. Like he was at one point, you know, two years ago or more, he was bad defensively. And now that's just not the case anymore. Like he's not, you know, Ben Simmons either, but he's a good defender, like pretty clearly in a lot of ways. And at the five, yeah, you're kind of small. And we saw a little bit of that on even last night against Brooklyn, but at the four, he's a uh, pretty good option. Um, I guess we talked about Capella a second ago, but is he, this is a weird question to ask you, but you were talking about all NBA stuff that kind of rattled around in my head. People asked me, somebody asked me earlier if Capella had an all-star chance and I don't really care about that all that much. But if you look at the numbers, like he's been really, really good so far. And I guess my question to you, Ben, is how good he's actually been. Because I think he's been really, really good. And I'm not sure it's this it's all the way sustainable. But man, he really has been playing extremely well. Yeah, well, he's been sort of rough on offense. The Hawks are about seven points per 100 worse with him on the floor offensively. But like I said earlier, they're more than 13 points per 100 better on defense. So in the aggregate, he's a significant plus for them. Um, you know, sort of the the 
a, a very poor man's Rudy Gobert is sort of what he's been doing. Although I guess Gobert is more of a positive on offense. Anyway, um, yeah, he's been <laughs> fantastic on defense. And the question is, you know, is defense alone enough to get you in the All Star consideration? You know, it depends. Like if you're a, a if you're the best defender in the league, then yeah, it probably is. I don't think Capella is the best defender in the league, uh, but certainly I think he's having his best defensive season, which is impressive given how much there is on his plate defensively. You know, obviously we talked about Collins and and his ability to protect the rim, but like a lot of this really is being funneled toward Capella and he's being asked to block a lot of shots. He's being asked to, to turn away a lot of shots, to alter a lot of shots and just be in a lot of different places on the floor, mainly around the rim. And he's done a really good job of that. I think that the offense will come around like individually. He doesn't look terrible. I think it's just a matter of figuring out how to kind of find the chemistry he had with James Harden in Houston and apply that to, to Trey young and, you know, 16 games, 18 games, whatever it's been of them playing together is probably not a large enough sample for them to really get that off the ground. So I would expect that to ultimately improve because he's going to play a lot of minutes with Trey and you would assume the Hawks would be better on offense in those minutes. Um, he is helping the rebounding quite a bit. And, and I think like we're just seeing the theory of Clint Capella come to full fruition. Like this is exactly who the Hawks thought they were getting or hoped they were getting when they traded for him last, what, January, February, whatever it was. Um, I mean, it's this guy, protect the rim, rebound, catch lobs, clean up around the basket. And he's been exactly that guy. So is it enough to be an all-star? I would say probably because of the low usage and the fact that he's not a playmaker on offense. You, I would probably make the case for other guys in the Eastern Conference, though I would have to go through it. I mean, he's at the point where I would, I would have to sort of look at other guys and and cross him off the list as opposed to just dismissing him out of hand. Yeah, I think he, the way to have the way, and I, I'll guess no as well. But the way for him to do it would be to maintain his rebounding and block numbers, because for better or worse, stats like that really matter in this kind of thing. And if he finishes the first half of the season, you know, in the top three in the league in rebounds and blocks, that's a pretty easy way to make it make it make a case for you to make to make All Star team. It's it's still too early. I just thought that was interesting because uh, I had I had all NBA rattling around in my head. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. By the way, to the on-off stuff, I know people. Not everybody loves the on-off stuff, but it's pretty indicative this year. The the top four guys on the Hawks in net rating are Collins, Young, Capella, and Hunter, who, who have been their four best players by a by a long shot. And also, the Hawks have been their worst when those guys are off the court. Collins, they've been they've gotten killed when Collins leaves the court. Same with uh, Young after that, then Hunter, then Capella. So it's not always that clean and pretty. But uh, it's pretty indicative. Like, the bench has been pretty bad this year because of the absences. More than anything else, they've had to really lean on the starters. But it's a pretty encouraging thing, in my view, that they have been kind of notably good when those guys play. Even against starters. Like, starters versus starters, the Hawks have got a lot of advantages, even when it's ones versus ones. And that is translatable, I think. Yeah, and Capella's been a linchpin in a lot of those really good lineups. Like, that that, uh, core five lineup this season has been a distinct negative, if I remember the numbers correctly. Uh, but Capella has been a part of a lot of their most successful lineups. And again, that's mostly on defense. Um, but their main starting lineup of Young, Reddish, Hunter, Collins, and Capella is good on offense and really good on defense. You know, So they're, they're able to kind of have these two-way lineups. And a big part of that is because Capella is providing that defensive backbone. 
Yeah, it's uh, that starting five you mentioned. Obviously, they've been starting Herder because Reddish has been in and out. But for a while, um, in fact, that's the number one lineup that they've used. This is according to NBA.com that Reddish, Hunter, Young, Collins, and Capella lineup is plus 13.9. And it's all it's all defense, really. They have a sub-100 defensive rating. Um, so... A lot of those num- a lot of those numbers maybe not sustainable because of how you know hot the shooting has not been for the opponents, but still, I think overall the guys who matter have played well, um, with the exception of Reddish, I-, I would say so far this year, and even then he flashed obviously very well on Wednesday. So lots of positives, and they'll get the band back at some point in time. Um, ben, unless you have final thoughts, I want to ask you, sort of transitioning about the East pecking order because it's still really early and I've been hesitant to do a, to do a whole lot of this, but because that we're a quarter of the way through, I get this question all the time of like where the Hawks should land. Like has my, has my, has my opinion changed on where I had them projected, which I picked them seventh in the East. I'll ask you now, since you're here, do you think the Hawks are a playoff team? And if you do, how many teams do you have ahead of them in the pecking order? I do think they're a playoff team. Uh, I, I still maintain that that's, that has probably more to do with the fact that the teams below them are not very good than it does them being some amazing team. I think Cleveland's going to fall off. Um, I think a lot of people might look at Atlanta and Cleveland as sort of similar, not only because they have the an identical record, but for the fact that they're sort of these lower tier Eastern Conference teams kind of overperforming. I don't think the Hawks are overperforming to the extent the Cavs are, so I think they're going to fall off. Philly, Milwaukee, are, are, the, are the Cavs like having a pretty solid um, luck based? Like, yeah, is, is their net rating like negative three or four right now? I feel like it yeah, is. they have one of the worst net ratings in the league. They have the fifth best defense, but their offense, I would have to check. It might be the worst. Yeah, I'm looking right now. Their offense is uh, bottom three, and their defense is good. But yeah, they have a, a negative three net rating, and that is not, if that sustains, then they're not they're not making the playoffs. Pretty pretty yeah. obviously. Yeah, but you look at Philly, Milwaukee, Indiana, Brooklyn, Boston are currently the top five. I think they're all solidly playoff teams. I'm still waiting on Toronto and Miami. I think like everyone is. If Jimmy Butler stays out for much longer like Miami, we might have to start worrying about them. There's still only five games or I guess two and a half games under 500 right now. Uh, Toronto, two games under 500. So, I mean, we're not at the point in the season where being in 13th place like puts you out of the playoff picture because you know the the heat for instance or the raptors I'll, I'll use them as an example they've won two fewer games than the hawks and lost two more games so like a week could give them enough time to pass them and, it, and then yeah, they're back two, in the two games is uh is still virtually nothing it's just it's what it is i mean i know there's been a lot of ink spilled on toronto and miami and i was never high on miami so i'm a little bit more worried than everybody else is i think but even then you know, it's too early, but the top five are the top five, and maybe the Hawks can crack that if they get hot at some point. I guess the question is, do you think that the Hawks can or will finish ahead of either or of the Toronto and Miami? It's still so early that it's tough, but I think yeah. it's possible, honestly, you, just, know, you know, because of where they are right now. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, if you ask me, are they better than Toronto? I would say no. Are they better than Miami? No. But given the way those two teams have struggled and I think you know they're gonna improve too but I think the Hawks have they haven't played their best basketball either so I think all three of those teams are going to improve over the course of the season and maybe a two-game advantage is enough to like edge out one of those teams I don't know who it would be again I think both of them are qualitatively better than Atlanta but like mathematically maybe there's a scenario where 
like the Hawks are in between those two because I think at least one will pass them. But I could also see a scenario where they stay ahead of at least one of them. So, um, but I, even so, I mean that that puts them in eighth, which is still in the playoff mix. And I mean they'll be in the play-in, I guess. But uh, that would still put them squarely in that mix. Um, and then you know the Knicks are going to fall off. Washington is terrible. That's another team that, <laughs> that people kind of had in that yeah that no, group no coming thanks. into the season. Orlando. They're bad. You know, man. We'll see how Orlando, they hang Orlando's in. bad. I mean, credit to them that they've that they've been able to hang in to this point because they are battered with injuries. Um, but they're they're not they're not good. Um Yeah. So I, I mean a lot of these teams below them, but below the Hawks are just sort of sort of falling off, you know. So it's almost like you it's look Toronto at Miami. It, I mean that's what it is. Honestly, yeah. it's the it's very easy to say this now, but it does feel like there's that the five teams ahead of the Hawks right now, then you have the Hawks, and then you have Toronto Miami, and that that's that's in my mind, those are very, very clearly the eight best teams in the East. Like, yes, I, I, that could certainly change if you get a you get a COVID absence for a while, you get an injury, all that stuff. But right now, today, like those are very obviously the top eight in my opinion. Like, I'm, and I understand people might be skeptical of the Hawks. I, I get that, but they're in, they're definitely closer to that group than they are to, to everybody else in my mind. Like, there's nobody else on that list that I would even consider being better than the Hawks. Like, barring injury, of course. But like the Knicks, Cavs. Magic Bulls, like no, those teams are not as good as the Hawks. They're just not. I don't know. I agree with that. I agree. Um, you know, they're sort of they're benefiting by by they're almost like the only team. If I were to tier the Eastern Conference, they might be the only team in their tier, just because like I don't think they're better than any of those top seven that that everyone kind of agreed upon before the season. But I also think they're significantly better than pretty much everybody else. So they're kind of sitting in that that eight spot by themselves and you know they still have to actually get there and, and and prove it but i think qualitatively like the talent level the the depth like every aspect you could look at you take luck out of it um and then you know you could kind of leaves you with those three teams like you said yeah i mean i had to ask it just because i'll say this for me i think it's more likely the hawks finish ahead of teams like Miami or Toronto or both, or even some like Indiana, if they cool off, they've had some injuries too. Um, then it is that they, you know, completely fall out of the top eight entirely. I'm not sure yeah. if that's like a huge hot take by me, but I, I just feel like as long as Trey stays upright and they have Capella or Collins or have some reasonable injury luck, cause the Hawks have been pretty, pretty snake bitten so far, as long as it doesn't get worse, they're in pretty good shape. I know it's still early, but Nine and nine is enough to uh, plus they're especially with the underlying metrics, metrics that we've been talking about the entire time, they're in good shape. I think it's not. There's been a lot of panic, a lot of Lloyd Pierce bashing. I would say I, 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 I would say be glad that you've missed a lot of that, Ben. Not that you're not like fully immersed in Hawksland anymore. Yeah, it's, I've seen a little bit of it. It's basically a nightly a nightly referendum on Lloyd Pierce in my mentions. It's really exhausting to be honest with you, but. Alas, this is what happens when you have a an unproven coach in the final year of his contract. So, yeah, I get it. On now, the, the one thing, like if I were to make a counter to everything we just said, the Hawks have probably played the well, they'll play the Wizards on Friday and then they will have been done with the easiest portion of their schedule. Um, so they uh, yeah, get at least, at least in the first half schedule. Yeah, it's it's been yeah. a little bit light. I think they're like in the bottom 10 in schedule strength. It's not been like comically easy. They still have some tough games like they had. The Bucks, they had the Nets three times. They had the Blazers. They had the Jazz. They've played some tough games, but there's also been some uh, some easy ones in there. Yeah, and they've got the Lakers, the Mavs, Jazz, Raptors. Yeah, this stretch this stretch coming up. up is pretty brutal to, to open February. So, so that could I mean, you, you could make the argument that 
well, if they're only nine and nine through the easiest patch of their schedule, what you know, what hope is there that they're going to improve upon that as the schedule gets harder? I think we've talked through a lot of those reasons uh, why it would, uh, but I, I think you know that that's a fairly reasonable way to look at it and say like you know you the teams are only going to get tougher, so you would figure that the record would not improve by much. Although I do think the record will improve. Yeah, and I honestly even. I think 500 would be enough to be the eight seed, honestly. I agree. In the East. That seems pretty comfortable to me at this point. And also, I'll just point out that the Hawks lost some games to teams that they were better than. And I think there's, you know, this covering the whole league, there's so much league-wide variance on a nightly basis right now between the lack of home court and the blowouts are way up. Like, I'm not smart enough to do all the analysis on this, but if you look at the league, the, the, the confident way that I'll say this is there is more variance than there's pretty much ever been. So for sure, the schedule strength matters still, but you'll see some nights where the Hawks might bludgeon a team that they that they're supposed to be worse than. Like if they if they beat the Lakers on Monday, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but that that kind of result that people might be surprised by, you know, that's going to. Ha- I mean, the Hawks lost a couple times to teams that are like pretty bad. They lost to the Knicks at home. They lost to the Hornets at home already in this run. They lost to the Cavs at home. Like. They're better than those teams, and they were at home. But home court doesn't really matter that much right now. I know that they're fans back, but it's just like it's a small advantage, but not the same way that it usually is. There's just a lot of there's a lot there's a lot going on, Ben. There is a lot going on lot in going the on. year. I guess now 2021. I keep forgetting that it's 2021. We're almost a month in, so it's time to adjust that. If I'm uh, just going to tell you that right now, don't write 2020. I actually wrote 2020 the other day in a, in a post, and my editor caught it, which I was happy about. But I uh, I made the same mistake, so here we are. Yeah. Well, Ben. Unless you have final thoughts, for my friend, which you are always uh, always free to fire them off on this podcast. If well, not, I'll, I'll fire one off. For oh yeah, you. do it. It feels just you know notable that, or I guess worth mentioning, given that we've we've kind of talked about their offense and one of the big things that's keeping them afloat on offense is that they're first in free throw rate, um, at almost twenty five percent. Did you hear that Trey Young ruined ruin basketball at the free throw yeah, line? Yeah, ruin, ruining basketball. Did you hear that? Um, so that I mean that was a big way. Like if you remember last year, the Clippers were second in offense, and they led the league in free throw rate. So I mean that's just an easy way to poach points. The Sixers are 11th in offense this year, largely because they get to the foul line a ton, second only to the Hawks, and the Hawks are also third in free throw percentage. So like just kind of scrounging those easy points at the line has been a big boon for them. And it's not just Trey. Like Hunter and Reddish are drawing more fouls than they did last year Herder is still the most contact averse guard in the league so i yeah, guess he does not like to uh, he does not like to get through the free throw line we'll just say that but uh, to, uh but to, but to your to point have there your two best offensive players both getting to the foul line a ton that that's a pretty important and, and gallinari once he kind of gets back in the flow of things you have to figure he'll get there as well so i mean i think as expected that has been a big source of offense for them uh this season which kind of balances out the fact that they haven't really shot the three very well um, which I, I would expect to improve, and, and we'll see if that free throw rate sustains. But they've been able to kind of withstand that three-point sluggishness by getting to the foul line a bunch and making their shots. Yeah, I think they are more likely to improve on three-point percentage, which, they're by the way, they're 22nd in the league right now at about 35%. That number, I think, is going to go up. And free throw rate might go down a little bit, but with Gallinari back, like you said, it's going to be... I'll be surprised if the Hawks are not a top five for the eight team this year. So, yeah, they have some low-hanging fruit offensively that can buoy them a little bit. I think that, you know, maybe Hunter regresses and all that stuff, but I think Trey Young's overall numbers probably get a little bit better than they've been so far. That's one little thing. 
um, not or not so little thing. And then three point shooting, like you said, maybe stabilizes. Like Reddish is a better a better shooter than he's been so far this year. They haven't had Gallinari to provide that spacing. Same with Bogdanovich. So they've got a little bit more juice offensively coming. I'm pretty confident in that. I agree. I agree. And we'll see how much the defense regresses. I think that's probably going to be the the tail of their season is just, you know, how how far do they fall on defense and then can they make that up with offensive improvement? That is the a tale as old as time, as they say. Um, I guess I kind of just explained basketball. I think you did. Um, so that's maybe okay. That's, that's not okay. A very insightful take. Well, listen. Uh, sometimes <laughs> you got to say the obvious thing. I've I've I fought sometimes myself on that before. You just got to score more points than your opponent. Well, <laughs> it's true. But I do remind myself sometimes what I think is obvious is not always obvious, and I, so now I just say it. And, and and I might preface it a little bit by saying, look, this, this might be obvious, but occasionally I'll get a response from someone that's listening to the podcast or reading something. They're like, actually, I didn't know that. So thanks. It's like, you know, see, I like to say this may be really obvious and then say something really esoteric that <laughs> no one picks up. <laughs> that's really obvious, but maybe the expected field goal percentage, you know, just kind of some long yeah. meandering uh, response. No, yeah, I'm sure everyone knows this already, but yeah, exactly. You, know. you got to kind of play it down a little bit. Well, Ben, thank you for joining me, my friend. Please plug everything you have going on. I'm a listener to your podcast and uh, you do write occasionally still. Uh, so please, please share that information where people can find your stuff because you're never on Twitter. Yeah, on Twitter, less and less these days. Uh, number one, thank you for listening. Uh, if other people want to do the same, uh, the podcast is called Read and React. It's uh, sort of a general NBA discussion, conversation show, much like you and I have been doing for the last hour or so, but about the entire NBA. So you can subscribe, leave a rating, review, whatever you want to do. Just live your life. Um, <laughs> and the other thing, is hopefully I'll be writing a little more uh, as the season kind of progresses here. Should have a little more free time than I have uh, the last few months. So you, you may see a little more writing from me in the, the weeks and months to come. That'll probably be on Twitter at bladner underscore. Uh, but don't expect much more from me on that platform other than just kind of pushing my stuff out. Listen, uh, we could all be on Twitter less. I, uh, I probably should be on Twitter less. But I've not, learned, I've not learned that lesson just yet. I'm, I'm on the platform far too often, and uh, I probably envy you a little bit for not being on Twitter. But Yeah, well, you know, what, two of my New Year's resolutions were to stay off Twitter and to read more books. And I actually read a book that encouraged me to stay off of Twitter. So it's kind of had this compounding effect. That's deep, man. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure how to react to that. But other than that, I think you're, I think you're doing life right at this point in time. But I would still encourage people to read your stuff when you write. Check out the podcast. Also, subscribe to this show if you like more Hawks talk. We will have a podcast again after the game on Friday as the Hawks visit the Washington Wizards in a high-profile Southeast Division showdown on Friday night. Ben, get excited! Can't wait. About the three and eleven Wizards hosting the Hawks on Friday. <laughs> anyway, subscribe to my podcast and Ben's, and we'll see you all next time. <laughs>